Merry Christmas, everybody. I know we have a lot of guests and visitors here today and out-of-town family members, welcome to you. I want to say hello also to those of you joining us from our sanctuary in our classic worship service. Good morning to you as well. Uh, Christmas is really a wonderful time of the year. Uh, every, uh, every week we get together and we sing praises to God. We communicate to God our gratefulness, our awe, sometimes our confusion and our pain. We communicate to God, and then we hear from God. We open the Bible and try to gain perspective for life. And in January, we'll get back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about relationships and anger and sex and breakups all in the month of January. A lot of people who aren't familiar with the teachings of Jesus uh, remark how surprised they are to learn the teachings of Jesus are not only profound, but intensely practical, and I hope you'll join us in January uh, for that. Over the month of December, we've been looking at the topic of worship, and the title for our series, Come to Worship, is drawn right from the Christmas story. Uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, magi from the east, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What is worship? That's what we've been talking about. How do we know if we're doing it right? And our definition of worship for this series is this. Worship is responding to God for who God is and what God has done. Worship is a response. Worship is responding to God for who God is and what God has done. And we've been organizing our thoughts around different postures of worship uh, because we've said that our physical posture can often communicate the posture of our heart. And we began this series looking at lifting our hands in worship. Uh, What's that about? What does that mean in the Bible? And then last week we looked at bringing our gifts and today bowing our knees. Bowing is the response of the Magi when they first encountered Jesus. We're in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and you heard this read. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they what? Bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. Contrary to the popular image, the wise men were not present at the manger at the birth of Jesus next to the shepherds, the way our nativity sets picture it. Uh, Historically, the wise men came later. The text says they came to the house, and they came probably when Jesus was two years old. It's a little harder to picture that in our minds. We've got the nativity set in our minds. A little harder to picture the wise men with a a, a two-year-old. How many many of you, by a show of hands, uh, have a two-year-old in your family right now? How many of you have ever uh, been around a two-year-old? Yeah, two-year-olds are very, very cute, very, very messy, and very mobile. And I'm just trying to picture, I, I, I imagine the, you know, the wise men coming with their gifts and I wonder if they you know, bowed down with their gifts to Jesus and were like, oh, now he's going over here. Oh, okay. oh and, and now, now he's over here. Where they have, uh, you know, did the wise men bring these fabulous expensive gifts only to have Jesus play with the cardboard box? <laughs> you know, at any point did a wise man turn to the other wise men and say, I told you we should have gotten them Legos, you know? 
We have no reason to believe that Jesus looked or behaved any differently than any other two-year-old, but the wise men knew this is no ordinary toddler. This is the hope of the world. This is the Prince of Peace. This is God incarnate, right? The wise men knew because it is possible to be in the presence of the holy and not know happens to us all the time but the wise men knew they knew from their studies they knew from their research they knew from their instincts and they bowed down and they worshiped now we don't bow down much in the western world other cultures do this Uh, bowing can be a, a way to indicate respect a way to communicate honor or deference Uh, even submission. Uh, Many years ago, I I traveled with a group of pastors to Korea, and our guide uh, coached us on cultural sensitivity issues, and we were told that when you bow, when you greet somebody, of course, uh, that if you're greeting someone who's in a superior position, if they're the senior, either in age or position, when you bow, your head should be lower than that person's head. And I thought, this won't won't be difficult for me. What I did not realize is when I greeted a Korean pastor, I assumed that they were the greater being Korean and local and a pastor. And, and the person I was greeting actually assumed that, that I was the senior because I was American pastor. And so the, the lower I went with my head, the lower he went with, with his head uh, until eventually we were... Uh, yeah, I kind of understand why it never really caught on in America to do this um, because we are not a culture that celebrates submissiveness. We're a culture that one-ups each other, not one-downs each other. And so we have to look at examples from history and from other places in the world. Historically, when someone would come before their king, what would they do? They would bow in acknowledgement that they were in the presence of their master. When believers of almost any religion come before their God, what would they do? They would bow down to show that they're in the presence of their master. When a young man proposes to a young woman, what does he do? He bows down to show that he is in the presence of his master. (laughs) Bowing is a way we bring ourselves low before somebody that we want to honor. And so that's why bowing and kneeling have been historic acts of worship. Where we come before God in humility to give God honor, to acknowledge God's greatness, to submit our wills to his. The psalmist says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. I wonder if the reason we don't kneel more uh, in our physical posture or in our heart posture is because we've lost sight of the glory and holiness of God. Remember, the ancient people had this idea that God is so great, so holy, so magnificent that the human being couldn't even survive being in God's presence. And you may remember that Moses, who was granted just a glimpse of God, had to cover his face out of protection for himself. God is that holy, that magnificent. And then in the Old Testament temple practices, uh, you know, there was one part of the temple called the Holy of Holies in which God was thought to reside especially. And only one person was allowed to enter that space, the high priest. 
and even then only once a year after he had gone through numerous cleansing and purification rituals would he enter that holy space and even then you could tell the people weren't entirely confident that even the high priest after all the cleansing could survive the presence of God because they would tie a rope around the high priest's leg why? in case he didn't make it we can pull him back out God is that holy that we're not sure we can survive his presence not a real confidence booster for the priest uh, what, what's the rope for again guys what's the oh God is that magnificent in our culture we're in a culture where we think about power postures power postures there's a fascinating TED talk by a woman named Amy Cuddy it has scores of millions of viewers it's now been turned into a book called Presence and Amy Cuddy a social scientist uh, notes that how we carry ourselves our body language our posture has an enormous effect on our lives she says there are basically two ways that people can carry themselves you either make yourself big or you make yourself small and some of you are doing this right now you're sitting with your shoulders up and your head high and you're kind of spread out taking up space like I've arrived that's the alpha position position of dominance we take up physical space and some of you right now are kind of making yourselves small you have your legs crossed and your arms folded and you're kind of hunched over, maybe heads bowed low. Uh, Amy Cuddy says this is associated with the, uh, the hormone cortisol, which is the stress hormone, maybe indicating you're under a high level of stress or that uh, you don't want to be noticed. You have feelings of weakness or inadequacy. And she says this has an enormous impact on how we go through life. In fact, she says if you're going to a meeting where you're going to be evaluated, you're walking into a job interview, or you're going to ask somebody out for a date, or you're sitting at a new table in the middle school lunchroom, she says you would benefit by getting alone in private and practicing a power posture for two minutes all by yourself. And if you do that, you will walk into that meeting with a greater a sense of power that other people will detect. I can't believe this works, but a fair amount of research says that it actually does. And so we'll practice some power positions right now. These are some of the classic power positions. One is uh, simply like this. Everyone make this power. You see somebody doing this in the office. It's a position of power. You're making yourself large. Uh, sanctuary you're playing along to, yes. Wide, yes, that's a classic power position. Um, the classic power position is actually this one. Everyone hands in the air. We talked about this before. Every culture does this. Even uh, people born blind from birth, when they're victorious, they raise their hands instinctually, making yourself as large as possible. This is true in the animal kingdom as well, not just humans. Make ourselves big. And then there's this power posture, um, sometimes called the Wonder Woman pose. <laughs> and the social research says if you strike a power pose, that will be a different meeting. Now, we know that nonverbals affect how people see us. But this is not about how other people see you. This is about how you see yourself. And what she says is that your body changes our minds. Our minds change our behaviors. And our behaviors change our outcomes. Now we've said that our posture reflects our heart. But if the social science is right, it means your posture can also lead your heart. 
Sometimes you kneel when you don't feel like it and your heart will follow. You raise your hands if you don't feel like it and your heart could follow. Now, Amy Cuddy's interest is that people need personal power. And so personal power is a great personal need and for many of us, having a sense of your own personal power would be a great thing. It's interesting to me, however, that the Christmas story inverts this, turns it upside down. Wise men from the east come. They are quite powerful, wealthy people. These are alpha leaders. They rejoice exceedingly, but they do not do this. They do this. They, they bow. They make themselves small. Why? Because they have a sense of what God is doing in this moment, that the God of the universe himself is not being an alpha God that the God of eternity is making himself small. All of eternity crammed into a tiny little baby in a humble manger out of love to redeem you and me. This is so staggering. The Bible says that when God sent his only son, all the angels worshiped. All the angels bowed down. And there's one character in the story who will not bow. His name is Herod. And he's into power postures. He's into posturing. He's got a nickname. Uh, he's, they call him Herod the Great. And uh, you know where he got that nickname? He gave it to himself. <laughs> this guy's into appearance, and he likes to make himself big. He does not want Jesus to come. In Bethlehem, there's a, a church that's historically connected with the birthplace of Jesus. We don't know for sure if that's the place, but the tradition goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And this church is built over a, a small cave. I've, I've been there a few times. And this cave could be the place where Jesus was born. And the church built over it, and you can get in and see the cave, the church, the entrance door is very, very low. So even, uh, even short people have to bow down to get into this church and that is quite intentional if you want to see Jesus you have to stoop those who will not bow will not see Herod will not stoop and before we judge Herod too quickly can we admit that there's a little bit of Herod inside of each one of us we don't like to bow we don't like to submit in contrast, there's another character in the Christmas story named Mary. And when God comes to her through the angel and gives her this phenomenal message, the angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And it takes a while for Mary to wrap her minds around this message she's just been given. But when she does, this is her response in Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. Humble is his servant. That's the natural response of being in God's presence. And she magnifies the Lord. The truth is you can magnify yourself you can magnify your problems, or you can magnify the Lord. And to magnify the Lord means to ascribe greatness to
to, to God and to God's love and God's power and God's justice. And Mary does this. Mary exalts God and God lifts her up. I want to point out the important difference between worship and devotion. Because worship, people tend to think is like a, a feeling, a warm feeling. And then we have this problem because there are days we say, I, I don't feel like worshiping. So I'm not going to do it because that would be inauthentic. I would just be going through the motions. Uh, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, I don't feel it. Uh, but devotion is not that way. Devotion is not reliant on feeling it. What do we call uh, husbands who only say I love you to their wives when they feel like saying it? What do we call those husbands? Ex-husbands. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is we can worship God as an act of our will on days that we feel it and on days that we don't. Worship is always available to us as an act of our will. And I want to suggest three worship actions that you can take just by a decision, just by a will. And the first option is this. Uh, you may want to kneel in pursuit. Kneel in pursuit. In Mark's gospel, there's a story about a rich guy. This, this guy's got everything that the world would think you could want, but he knows that he's missing something. And so it says in Mark chapter 10, as Jesus started on his way, a man rushed up to him and did what? Fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy knows he has what everybody wants and that he lacks what everybody needs. And he falls on his knees in pursuit of the answer to this question. And maybe some of you are here right now. Maybe you've been part of a church for a long time or a little time, but you just know that you're missing something. This is a time, Christmas is a great time for you to fall on your knees in pursuit. To say, I'm not even sure I believe in God, and I might be falling on my knees before a God I'm not sure I even believe in, but I will at least ask questions. I will commit as an act of my will to pursue. And there's a second option. You could kneel in repentance. Every now and again, we do something that breaks God's heart and hurts someone else. And Christmas has an uncanny way of magnifying those things. Have you noticed that? That Christmas makes good times really good, and it makes hard times really hard. And if there's a relational rift or brokenness in your life somewhere, Christmas seems to intensify that. Christmas is a great time to get on our knees in repentance. There's a great example of repentance in uh, Luke's gospel, of repenting on our knees. Peter was out fishing all day, some of you know this story, and he's not catching anything. And Jesus shouts fishing advice from the shore, which goes something like this, try the other side of the boat. It's not a big boat. And Peter had to be going really... Uh, if there's no fish here, uh, you think there might be fish here... Um, but to humor you, I'll do it. And he casts the net over here. And you know the story, the net fills up with fish. So much the net starts to rip because there's so many in there. And Peter has this aha. He suddenly realizes this is no ordinary man. This is the Lord. I'm in the presence of the holy. He has this awakening. And this is a response in Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When you stand face to face with a holy, perfect God, you feel a natural sense of being small. 
God, you are so great and I am so small and you are so uh, perfect and I am such a sinner and you are so bright and I am so dark. Peter says, get, get, Jesus, you shouldn't be in my presence. And Jesus receives him. In that old uh, carol, O Holy Nights, there's this great line that says, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. Now, pining is not a word we use much today, but this is, a, this is a fabulous statement of the human condition. The world is in sin and error, pining, longing, yearning, hungering for the Lord to appear and for the soul to feel its worth. Do you, do you pine for that? Do you hunger for that? If so, the song says, fall on your knees. You might decide today to just collapse in the presence of a holy God and say, forgive me. I know what it is to be in sin and error. Now, thirdly, you could kneel in submission. Christmas is an excellent time to submit your will, your plans, your life to God. On the night of his arrest, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and it says he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, notice his position, Jesus knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, not my will, but yours be done. He says, Father, if there's another way to accomplish this mission, I, I don't want to go through that but not my will, but your will be done. Have you prayed that prayer in a while? Not my will, but your will. Christmas would be a great time to do that. You can do it today. And I suspect for a lot of us, this will not be a vague prayer because you have a very specific example on your mind right now where you have stubbornly insisted on your way and today is the day you let it go. Today is the day you say, not my will, but yours. It's been another weird year for me personally in many ways. Uh, a lot of you know that two years ago, I was diagnosed with advanced colon cancer, and I have been uh, completely in remission now for more than a year. Praise God. Thank you. But a lot of you know what it's like to every six months come to a scan, and every six months be reminded of the fragile nature of life. And every little blip or dark shadow on that scan kicks off a whole uh, group of other tests and more anxiety, mostly for my wife, not for me. And people sometimes say to me, well, you're, you're so strong. Uh, how do you stand so strong in the face of opposition? Uh, you, you seem like you're really strong. I just want to say that is totally not true. And at the risk of sounding trite, though, I do want to give you some counsel that was once given to me that's been helpful. Kneeling will give you the strength to stand. Kneeling will give you the strength to stand. And maybe some of you needed to hear that today. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow to God, not because they're forced, but because one day everybody will understand. Everybody will see our God is holy and pure and exalted and transcendent. 
Our God is good and kind and just and loving. And to understand who God is, to see even a glimpse of God will cause your knees to buckle and your head to bow. Bowing our knee is the only appropriate response to the heavenly king of kings. Please read this passage aloud with me from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. These great words. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before we close, I want to give you a chance to bow and worship. And I want to invite you right where you sit uh, to do whatever you can to make yourself small. Uh, some of you may want to kneel right where you are. Uh, that's fine. Uh, some of you, if you knelt, we would never get you back up again. So please don't do that. But you might want to bow, to fold, to bow your heads, close your eyes if you would, uh, make yourself small in this moment. Crouch low, get small. Think about how the eternal God of the universe made himself small at Christmas. A humble manger, a poor couple, unlikely odds, not much king-like at all. And yet wise men and wise women from every generation somehow know that there's way more going on than meets the eye. This is no ordinary baby. Hope has come. Eternity has entered time. The infinite has took on the finite. God and humanity commingled as one. God is with us. For some of you, today is the day to kneel in pursuit. To say, God, I'm not even sure what I believe about you. I might be kneeling before a God I'm not sure I even believe in, but I will pursue. As an act of my will, I will ask questions. For some of you, today is the day to kneel in repentance. To say, God, in light of your holiness, I am a mess. I know what it is to be in sin and error, pining to be rescued. Cleanse me. Forgive me. And some of you are ready to kneel in submission. To say, God, I have been stubborn. I have not trusted you. I've, I've clung to my own way. And today is the day I will let it go as an act of my will and will pray that your will be done in me, your will be done in my family, your will be done in my future. Oh God, we remember that holy night of our dear Savior's birth. May this be for us that night once more. May we fall on our knees in recognition of your glory. May this moment be a holy moment. May our dear Savior be born in us anew. 
This we pray for the sake of the world, in Jesus' name. And everybody said,